Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen, you guys, and take a seat. You doing good this morning? You're looking good. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision, and I am excited to be here today to introduce a special guest that we have with us. It's someone who needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce her anyway. Jody Weissman is here to kick off a new series for us. She's a a mom and a barber and a prayer warrior and a whole lot of other things. So would you guys put your hands together and give Jody a warm Revision welcome? Morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. It was so funny because when I saw the, the dumb in the wisdom, I was actually writing the intro to this and um, nothing makes me feel dumber quicker than technology. It is not my friend. So two years ago, I was getting ready to preach and I was highlighting my sermon and clicked something wrong and deleted the whole thing the day before and had to rewrite it. So this week, I don't know about you, but when, I, when things don't happen quick enough, I tap faster and slide more. And I somehow um, locked myself out of my Google Doc to practice my sermon. So just as that happened, I started to do a little bit of a, you know, a freak out. And my daughter walked upstairs and I thought, okay, I'm getting tech savvy. I said, Kendall, I'm going to email you my sermon. You open it up and then email it back to me. And then I can open it up and then I'll be able to practice it. And she's like, okay. So, you know, I hear her phone ding and she's like, I said, did you get it? And she's like, yeah. I said, okay, can you send it back? And she's like, uh, mom, you just um, emailed me your name. I was like, but no, I think I, there's, there's something else in there. And she's like, yep, no, mom, just your name. And I was like, no. So again, I was flipping and flapping and tapping. And all of a sudden I unlocked myself and was able to get back into my sermon, which was uh, answer to prayer. So again, as we're kicking off wisdom, it's a new four-week series. And we're gonna dig into old scripture literature um, so that we can make smarter decisions in our lives and have fewer regrets, that we can walk through life with a biblical wisdom and not listen to the thoughts and the opinions that our culture says is okay. So just because I love you all so much, I went to Psalm 119, and for those of you that aren't aware, Psalm 119 has a measly 176 verses, so we're going to go line by line. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I just thought I'd scare you for a minute. No, we're not going to go line by line. I only picked a couple. Come on, guys. Okay, so the first one we're going to go to is about sin. And so it's in, again, it's in Psalm 119, but we're going to go to verse 10 and 11. It should be up on the screen. It says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands, for I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And for those of you who'd seen me preach before, a lot of you guys know I love the message version because especially when it comes to Old Testament things, I think that the the message version sometimes makes it very plain English. So this is the same verse just in the message. It says, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart that I may not sin myself bankrupt. And I love that beautiful picture that that the vault of our heart, that we take God's word and put it in our vault so deep that when we have his word that we won't sin against him. Because unconfessed sin will leave us bankrupt. Because I'm here to tell you that sin will take you further than you want to go. It will make you stay longer than you want to stay. And it'll make you pay more than you want to pay. Because sin is easy. It's easy. We are born into it. But it can be a very slippery slope when we don't confess our sin. Because so many times we give ourselves 
way too much credit that we think that we can handle our sin on our own, that how close we can get to the edge of sin's cliff and not fall off and yet try and control it ourselves. But what I realized is even casual tolerance of sin can lead to a pattern in your life. And let me tell you, when I've gone through the hardest times in my life, I go to my sin because my sin can comfort me. But as I continued in that sin, whether it was endless um, nights of social media that can, you're just gonna do 15 minutes and the next thing you know, it's two or three hours. I'm gonna tell you, every time I look at it, I don't feel better off. I feel worse off because I'm now comparing myself to everybody. I'm looking at what they have and what I don't have. Now I'm scared of this government and that government and this person. It doesn't make me feel, it doesn't fill me up. It leaves me worse off. Or if my day was hard, I would come home and have a drink or two or three to just curb that pain because I was so sick of hurting and feeling. But what I realized in that is that no habit, no habit, comfort, or entertainment is more valuable than being in the presence of God. And for me, my sin became a very, a very painful part of my security and my identity. Because what sin does is that it, it involves a temporary counterfeit pleasure instead of the lasting reality that God will offer you. And what, what I was consuming was controlling me. And what I was consuming was things of this world. You know, in the Bible, it says we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. I'm going to tell you, the closer I got to God, the more my sin became uncomfortable. I prayed a prayer, something like, Lord, open my eyes to the price of my spiritual complacency and help me to love you so fiercely and so passionately that nothing that displeases you would ever appeal to me. Because there's a lot of these things of this world that are so appealing, but it's such a temporary fix. So what I had to do is I had to repent, I had to return, and I had to replace so as my sin came up, I, I would repent of it. Lord, I'm so sorry, fill in the blank, because we all have a lot of sin. So Lord, forgive me of my sin. Let me return to you. Let me lay it at your feet. Let me be at the feet of Jesus and then replace. Because for me, I had to replace a bad habit with a good behavior. So instead of coming home and maybe wanting a drink, I now take my dog for a walk. Endless nights, after it's time to go to bed, there's only two choices, no social media or my Bible. And if I'm too tired, then neither. I cannot pick up my phone at night. I had to make those rules because I had to replace the bad habit with a good behavior. And years ago, I had taken a class and it was called something about um, interrupting sin or, or something to that effect. And their whole tactic was when you took this class to identify the sin that you were struggling with, and then let Jesus interrupt it. So as your sin came up or you were gonna say something you didn't want or you start to lose your temper, you would just take a deep breath in, say Jesus and breathe out. And you would continue to say Jesus's name and let him interrupt your sin. So my kids were three and six at the time. And I'm gonna tell you my sin was different because what I realized in taking this class, the sin that I had was, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a five foot three Irishman and I'm gonna tell you, I got a temper. And so I, we always called it popping off and I could pop off at my kids and lose my temper. And, and there's nothing worse than a three-year-old and a six-year-old in a Walmart parking lot to make you lose your ever-loving mind. And so I was in this class, I was doing my Jesus, I was really saying his name and 
We get to the car. So my six-year-old, she's a big girl and she's gonna do it herself. So she's getting into the car seat. And just then I take my son out of the cart. I put him into the car seat. I now realize that my son only has one shoe. I'm like, okay, well, we lost a shoe. It's fine. So I'm getting him in the car seat. And then my daughter touches my son. And then my son looks at my daughter and then they start to fight. And then they both spot a four-day-old chicken nugget that we're gonna now fight over, right? So in the process of fighting over the chicken nugget, I turn around and my purse is in the cart and the cart has now taken off. And I'm just like, this is just, my, this is just, a regular day at Walmart for me. So by the time I get my son wrestled and get him, you know, get the door shut, I take off running, I get my purse, I get back to the car, I sit down, and maybe I'm a little frazzled, and I'm sure that somebody probably saw this going on and thought, this woman has lost her mind. Man, I pretty much had. But I get in the car, and I put my belt on, and I just, Jesus. And then my son, perfect form, is like, Mom, you really like Jesus, don't you? And I said, you know what, buddy, I, I do. He says, because you say his name a lot. I'm like, I, buddy, I do, I do say his name a lot. But again, my son heard me saying Jesus instead of something else because before I was saying other things. But even as I wrote the sermon and was reminded of my sin, I was reminded of that sweet moment of that was a tactic I used to use. I would say Jesus' name and let him interrupt my sin. So again, I had learned that lesson. So now writing this, I, I now, when those things come up, I just, Jesus, because his name will interrupt your sin. That then allows us to repent and return and replace because unconfessed sin, if we leave it, it will leave us depleted, deflated, deflated and even depressed because the enemy would love to distract and derail us. But what I want the enemy every morning when I get up and my feet hit the floor, I want the devil to be like, oh snap, she's awake. Because I want to do some damage to hell. What I had to do is I had to choose to fix my eyes on the Lord's path of integrity that he had chosen for me. Because the enemy will use the heaviest artillery on those who are living in God's will and doing his work. So if a lot's coming at you, it's because God's got a lot for you. And the, uh, the enemy will always offer to satisfy the need with a temporary tangible. And so I had to stop seeking the small temporary fixes that left me worse off than before and moving forward with an eternal perspective. Because what I figured out is that Jesus comforts the afflicted, but he also afflicts the comfortable. And he made it so evident to me that I was comfortable in my sin. But eventually it was the spirit of truth that made me uncomfortable. So I keep telling you that we must, we must repent, but I'm gonna tell you what repent means. Repent is the act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded. I'm gonna say that again. To repent is to leave what God has prohibited in your life and return to what he commands. If you know better, do better because we are all planted with a purpose. We must repent, return, and replace so that sin won't control you. Because I'm here to tell you, with lots of experience, sin is a joy stealer. It will steal your joy. In Romans 6, 12, and 14, it says, you must, not, you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are no longer under the law, but under grace. So sin doesn't have the final word. Christ does. So if you think about it this way, you guys, you are the tiebreaker. You have God, you have the enemy, you get to choose. Choose wisely.
The second one we're going to get into is obedience. We're going to go to Psalm 119, verse 33 through 35. It says, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands because there is where I find delight. And of course, you guys, I'm, again, I have to read it to you in the message because again, written so plain as day. God, teach me lessons for a living so I can stay the course. Give me insight so I can do what you tell me to. My whole life, one long obedient response. Guide me down the road of your commands. I love traveling your freeway. And when I was writing this, I, I thought about freeway. I was just in Phoenix uh, a month ago visiting my parents and we had to get on the 101, which is a, a freeway, but at the time it was pretty much a parking lot. I've never seen so many cars in my life. And I thought traveling this freeway, what if there was no speed limit signs? What if there was no solid line, no dotted line, no off-ramp, no, off, no on-ramp or off-ramp, no, no posted signs to the streets that you're supposed to go to? It would be a mess. And I realized as I was writing this that I do love traveling God's free way of obedience, but he gives us guidelines for a reason because there is blessings in his boundaries. And the word obedience, I'm gonna tell you, is not a, a super fun, easy word. I, I fell in love with this word about eight, 10 years ago and have just been continuing to dive into it to know what an obedient life looks like, what an obedient follower is, what an obedient mother is, what it is to just be obedient to him and his word and what he calls you to do. Boils down, obedience is no to self, yes to God. Which is easy to say, but when the rubber meets the road, it's not always the easiest. So again, eight, 10 years I've been praying about this beautiful word and it wasn't, until last year that God says to me, well, we're gonna work on obedience now. And I was like, yeah, um, yeah, God, I don't, it's Jody here. Um, don't know if you got the memo. I'm like, I quit praying about obedience like a, a minute ago because now I'm, I'm going through a divorce. So like I'm praying for like peace and patience and kindness and, you know, self-control and, and, you know, like those things. And he's like, I know, but we're gonna work on obedience. And again, I was like, um, yeah, God, Jody here again. Uh, I, maybe you didn't get the first message, so I'm here to tell you again that this is what we need to do. And he's just like, Jody, I need you to stop and I need you to listen to me. And every night when I went to bed, he would over and over again show me this vision of Jesus with Judas. And here was Jesus in such a loving, kind matter, washing his feet and breaking bread and having a meal with him and loving on him and being obedient to what God called him to do, knowing full well the next day Jesus was gonna turn him over to be crucified but he chose to be obedient to God and to love on Judas. And that was the picture over and over. And I was like, God, I don't wanna do that. And he's like, well, I don't care. This is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to be obedient to me right now and not your flesh. I said, well, I don't wanna do it. And he says, I know you don't. And I'm gonna tell you, I didn't always do it right. There were times that I faltered and I failed. But there was eight weeks where we were all exiting this life. We were selling things and packing things and dividing things and, and figuring out who was gonna, and it was such a weird time in my life. And I had, in the meantime, my daughter had a birthday. So I made a big meal and hosted her friends. And then the nights all four of us were together, God called me to continue to make a meal for our family so that we could still remain a family for that small window. And I figured out at that point that if he calls you, he equips you. And I had a choice. I could either respond in spirit 
or react in flesh. And there were times that I reacted in flesh. But I knew one day he was saying to me, Jody, if you walk in obedience to me in this season, one day you will be able to look back and look at the way you handle things and be grateful. Otherwise, you are gonna go through it full of flesh, full of bitterness and full of anger and resentment. And you will not be pleased with the way that you handled it. It was the hardest eight weeks of my life. And again, I didn't always do it right. But I chose to respond in spirit. And I knew that one day he would bless my obedience. And every time I served him when I did not want to, and it was so difficult that I gritted my teeth and I did it anyway, it softened my heart in that process. So as that process went on, every time I did it, I served with obedience and my heart got softer every time. And it made my healing come that much quicker. I knew he would bless me. He softened my heart. But I need to ask you, what are you willing to give up to obediently walk with God? There are things he will ask you to do that you don't. And it's always usually outside your comfort zone. Trust me, been there. But I knew next it was a season of loneliness. But he showed me that sometimes it takes being perfectly alone so that God can show you what perfectly loved feels like, that no one could complete me the way that God could. And as long as I had Christ, I knew that I could do anything. And out of the fruit of my obedience, I was, I was, as I was writing this sermon, I could see answered prayer from the last couple years and even years prior that like this needle of this tapestry that he's woven my life together, that I saw answered prayer, things that I quit, that I forgot that I had prayed about that he answered in his timing or brought obedience back up to me to show me, showed me again how to deal with sin. And as I walked through this, writing this, he showed me, he says, Jody, your gentleness is gonna be your strength. Your love will be your fiercest weapon. Balance will be the beauty of your soul. And you wrestling the question why that will never come will be your humility. And realize that God answers prayer in his time, not mine. And he's never late. He's always right on time. Because God's well-aimed discipline and his call of obedience offers evidence of his unwavering love. And I had to learn a whole new level of obedience as I walked through that season of my life. The third we're going to go to is Psalm 119.50 about suffering. It says, my comfort in my suffering is this. You promise to preserve my life. Followed up by Mark 14, 36. Jesus cried out, Abba, for you everything is possible. You can take the suffering from me, but your will be done, not mine. And I'm going to tell you, when we get into suffering, I don't feel like we suffer like that. Oh, Lord, if this is what you're willing, then fine. No, we ask why or why me or why now or my go-to was, um, where you at? Are you even here? Because I'm going to tell you, I don't feel you at all right now. I feel, nope, where are you at? Because when he doesn't answer in the way that we want him to, which is usually immediately, that we think that silence means absence. But sometimes God allows his people to suffer to purify your faith. Because he will refine us in the furnace of his love. And our choice is when we're in that furnace, you can either get burnt or you can be refined. And I'm gonna tell you, I've, had some, I've got some scars but I pray that I allow him to refine me when I'm in 
that furnace because, again, he knows so much better than we do. But it's your choice. You can get refined or you can get burned. There's always purpose for our pain. And I found out that for me, that my suffering was necessary for me eventually, for necessary for this eventually to become a season of restoration on my life. So it would match the calling that God has put on my life. And as I've realized so much answered prayer is as I was writing this a couple of weeks ago, you know, the, the grass was green and the, and the, the trees were blooming and it was beautiful and, and the sun hit my face and um, I started reciting the 23rd, 23rd Psalm, which when my daughter was born 21 years ago, God said, you need to start memorizing scripture, start with the 23rd Psalm. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that's like the funeral um, Psalm, why, Lord, why would you want me to? Because I question God all the time because I think that he doesn't know or he doesn't get the memo, so I like to remind him. And so I was like, you know, I really don't think I need to memorize that, but you guys, it took me about three years. I memorized it. Fast forward, I then volunteered at a nursing facility that was with people as they passed, and I could cite that psalm so easily off my tongue. Fast forward to just weeks later, as I was sitting on my deck, the sun hit my face and I was like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pasture. He restores my soul. And I stopped right there because for the first time in my life, I heard that word make. He makes me lie down. He doesn't allow me. He doesn't nudge me. He doesn't suggest. He makes me. And I think about in the last six years of suffering, my feet were knocked out from underneath me and all I could do was lay on my back and look up because he made me lie down. Because when I lie down, the only thing I can do is look up, to look up to him. So three years of nerve pain, then followed by a divorce, but realized that each season was preparation for the next. And God, he'll never forsake you, but he will go to great lengths to remake you. And what if disappointing moments are the exact appointment that your soul needs to radically encounter God? Because if I had not suffered, I would have not radically encountered God. I had to stop being sad about this life that I didn't think I had anymore and find joy in the life that I was actually living. I allowed God access to every deep hurt and pain in me. He restored me, he rebuilt me, and he renewed me. He will do the same thing for you because he wants your story to match his glory. My daughter got me a little card box and so I pull out a scripture every week and, and put it up on my mirror. And this week, perhaps this is the moment for which you have been created. Esther 4.14. Perhaps this is the moment for which you have been created. You know, not my idea of how I was going to get here, the pain, the suffering, but it was what I needed to radically encounter God. And for that, I give him all the glory. Number four, rejoice. See, now we're getting to the good stuff, guys. Rejoice. Psalm 119, 73 and 74. Your hands made me informed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me for I've put my hope in your word. There's a song that says rejoice again. Again, I say rejoice because what I realize is rejoice is a fierce weapon because the shouts of heaven will drown out the lies of the devil. And even when it's only a broken hallelujah and it's busted, you are still rejoicing and praising. It's to learn to be content in every circumstance, whether you're in plenty or pain, want or need, but my favorite verse in all of 119 is 74. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me. 
just a couple weeks ago, I was at a, I'm a hairstylist, and so I was at a beauty supply house, and um, I was gathering up everything I needed, and I came to the front desk, and one of the gals that was working behind the counter, I had not seen in two years, and so as I put everything up on the counter, she's starting to check me out, and she leans over, and she's like, how's Jesus? And I was like, Jesus? She's like, Jesus, and she goes like this, and I was like, oh, she remembered I carry a Jesus keychain. It's a lie. She's like, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. I just remember the Jesus keychain. And I was like, mm-hmm. So then she took my keys and showed the ladies and the light. And she's like, ooh, Jesus looking a little busted. Like, he's, you know, the paint's off his face and he breaks sometimes, but you know what? I was like, yeah, light of the world, lamp to my feet, light it in my path, right? And so she was giggling and laughing. She's like, this girl's always got Jesus stories. So I gathered up my things and I got to the car and I thought, again, as I'm preparing the sermon, that person could rejoice because they saw me. She didn't remember my name, but the one thing she remembered was that I carry a Jesus keychain. And again, gave me the moment because I want people, when they see me, to rejoice, not like, oh, here comes Jody. Which sometimes happens because I'm a talker. I don't mean to talk all the time, but they're like, oh, here comes Jody, skirt. No. But I want people to rejoice. Like, people should rejoice when they see us. Are others better off for knowing you? Are you bearing much fruit? Because the fruits of the Spirit in the book of Galatians are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those all fruit that you're bearing? And I love that, that the Bible, it's a tree analogy. So in, in, in the Gospels, it talks about that he is the vine and that we were the branches. And then in the book of Galatians, it says that we're to bear much fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. And then in Isaiah, it talks that we are an oak of righteousness, that we are planting for the Lord, that we will display his splendor. So what does your tree look like? Are you bearing fruit? Do your roots run deep so that you're rooted in the word? So when the storms of life come, that your tree doesn't get knocked over. I'm gonna tell you the last couple of years, I've lost a couple branches couple leaves are missing, but I stood firm because I know I'm rooted in the word. And is your fruit ready to pick? Do you give it so freely to others that when somebody picks that fruit, bam, a new fruit so easily appears? Or are people not picking your fruit because maybe your fruit's rotten or maybe you have fruit flies surrounding you? We are to bear fruit for others because when the heart comes under reverence of God it's God's word that will bear that we will now bear the image of God make your fruit so appealing to others that people can't wait to pick it if it's a hard season for you rejoice anyway I, I, I'm sure you guys have heard the analogy it says you know if God closes a door he opens a window or whatever well I heard this one last week it says if you're waiting for God to open a door you best y'all be praising him in the hallway <laughs> I thought, that's so good because there's so many doors I open. I'm like, no, that door's locked. No, that door's locked. I'm waiting, Lord. I'm waiting, Lord. But I'm like, instead, I should just be in the hallway. Be like, yep, I'm not going to try the door yet, Lord. Yep, I'm just going to praise you right here to be content in every circumstance. That's what he calls us to do. So the fifth and final one is the light. Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light unto my path. God's words are instructions for us how to live. So we must read it and live it, and it will light our path. We are to be the light everywhere we go. And again, I pray that your love will be one of your fiercest weapons. Because we need to love people into the kingdom, not beat them, 
beat them into the kingdom because people, people will watch you before they believe you. Once they see your life, then they'll know that your words and actions are true. So once they see that, I pray all the time that my love confuses people, that after it confuses them, they're like, why did you do that? Why did you pay for that person's whatever? Why would you do that when you weren't asked? Well, now I'm gonna tell you, Jesus. That's what we're called to do. It talks about God's word in Proverbs 6, 21 through 23. It says, bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light and a correction and an instruction on the way to live life. Because I'm gonna tell you, when you've heard the whispers of heaven, you no longer have to listen to the shouts of the world. Spiritual maturity doesn't come through the willingness to just want to grow, but as we experience our weakness in God's unwavering strength. So confess your sins so it won't control you. Repent, return, and replace that bad habit with a good behavior. Leave what God has prohibited and return to what he has commanded of you. Walk in obedience to God's commands, and you have the choice. You can respond in spirit or react in flesh. Know that suffering will come, but allow it to refine you. Because hard times are our ways that we can radically encounter God. Rejoice always, be content in every circumstance, and allow God's word to come so deep into your life that it is a lamp unto your feet that will guide you on the path to go. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Lord, we need your wisdom now more than ever. We need it to be the loudest voice in our lives. Lord, let the truth wash over us. Help us to repent and return to you, our healer, our redeemer. Fill our souls with your love, assurance, and grace. Amen.